One is that it's crucial to understand and be able to express your own value. Mm. Put it in words, say it confidently. And the second thing is that it's 10 times better if you can get somebody else to do it for you. Hello, hustlers. Welcome to that Freelance Life podcast, the show where we discuss the how-tos, the ins and outs, and the highs and lows of creative freelance life in London. I'm Brittany Beebe. And I'm Harris Stockwell. And we're creative freelancers here to guide you. Please note, we do recommend you try this at home. Welcome back to that Freelance Life podcast, guys. This is the final episode for season two. I can't believe we've actually made it here. It's been a process of two years. It really, really has. We literally started planning for season two at the very end of creating season one, and then the pandemic got in the way. But here we are, and we're already planning for season three as well. So if there's a topic that you'd like us to discuss, someone you'd like us to interview, um, or I don't know, something you want to ask us, please get in touch. We love to hear from you guys. Yeah, just drop us a slide into our DMs on at that freelance live podcast on Instagram. (laughs) (laughs) Love to hear from you. And we will be running more um, sort of Q&A on our stories to kind of gauge more of what you guys are interested in as at the end of the day, this is a podcast created even though by us, but it's for you. So talking about hearing from our listeners It is one of our favorite things ever to hear from you. So when Olga Pope contacted us and said that she not only loved the podcast, but she actually had some useful insights that she felt could be quite great for an episode, we chatted to her. And after hearing what she had to say, we were like, oh, hell yeah, you're coming on the podcast. Transplanted from the Arctic all the way to London, Olga's worked in some of the country's top agencies. She's become a freelancer mid-pandemic and now works as a copywriter and brand consultant. She's also probably responsible for all of, or most of, the Time Out London's overheard that have kept you giggling on the tube. How many? About 80? About 80. I think she might be one of the most popularly published write-ins. <laughs> incredible uh she's actually got us now thinking about it every time we're listening and hearing stuff (laughs) oh that's a good one for timeouts word on the street word on the street Um, As freelancers, we are always thinking about how we can facilitate long-term relationships with clients. So how to stay top of mind, how to make ourselves invaluable to them so that we are their first choice for work. So we chatted to Olga about how to grow your value as a freelancer, not only in the sense of actually earning more, but also growing your professional worth. So without further ado, Olga Pope. Olga, thank you so, so much for coming on our podcast. We are super, super excited to have you. No, thank you for having me. I'm really excited as well. It's such a pleasure. Oh, we're really grateful that you've made time to chat with us. And before we dive into chatting about your value as a freelancer, how to build it, um, how you understood it and discovered its worth, we want to just chat to you about your journey. So do you want to just describe yourself and the work that you do for us? Sure, absolutely. I would describe myself as a copywriter and branding consultant who, after seven years of working in big ad agencies, decided to quit two weeks before the pandemic and go solo. Um, And these days I mostly work alone. Sometimes I team up with other people for specific projects. And I have mostly moved from advertising into branding, which I much prefer. We, I think, are also wanting to maybe one day venture there. <laughs> Make that shift. Make yeah. that shift. Go straight to the clients. Forget the middleman. But mm. we'll see how that goes. Um, and, you know, take us a quick journey through your career. Um, you know, after you went freelance two years ago. But how did it lead mm. to that point? 
Um, you said quick journey. I can't give you that. <laughs> That's okay. <laughs> because I took a very senior quote into it. But I'll try to keep this under one minute. Okay, cool. Okay, great. So I was born in Russia. I moved to the UK twenty uh, at 21, 16 years ago. I quickly realized my degree in linguistics was absolutely useless here. Oh, no. So I started doing other things, random things, from office jobs to translation to handicrafts. And while making handmade greeting cards, I discovered the discipline of graphic design, which I hadn't known existed really. And I thought, oh, I could study that because if I do something visual, then my accent, my origin, my name won't matter so much. So I applied for a foundation degree. And during my degree, I discovered creative advertising and I thought, oh, that looks even cooler. And then by the time I was prepared to graduate or about to graduate from St. Martin's, it was very clear that I was much better, better at words than I ever would be at design. So I followed that route and I did a few internships at places like Mother, TBWA, WCRS, you know, the whole alphabet. Yeah, <laughs> amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you hit the good names. That's, that's, that's amazing. WPV, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And um, during that time, I was lucky enough to win a student pencil. Well, it was a slice at the time. But DNAD uh, New Blood Award. And oh, amazing. Congratulations. Ones. Thank Let's you. Have a that moment was for that. Yeah. Ancient history. <laughs> uh, somehow I managed to also get in book uh, in the adult one, the grown up one. Wow. Um, because I was interning for a year while studying. Um, I love it. like the adult one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. The young one, the baby one. That's how it looks when you are a student. Yeah. So through that, I got into AMVB video. Uh, more of alphabet soup <laughs> and uh, stayed there for five years I had an art director at that point uh, then we both quit two weeks before the pandemic very very wise decision we, we, intentional <laughs> intentional absolutely well we didn't know the pandemic was coming but the, the quitting was was uh, very uh, yes that was our choice and we then co-founded a branding studio and then a year later I stepped down uh, to go solo and that was a year ago and now we're here Amazing. Unreal. I think that's such a bold move to have taken that decision to go freelance. That's incredible. But also to stick with it. Yes. That you started mm -hmm. in the agency and then decided even still in the middle of a pandemic to then be like, okay, now I'm even going to go further and I'm going to go solo. Yeah. I feel like once you're out, there's no going back. Oh, yeah. Like you guys. Once you get a taste. Exactly. Yeah. Let's talk <laughs> about this this morning. Caviar, yeah. never go back. Because <laughs> <laughs> you talk about this this morning with um, Brittany's husband trying to apply for leave, well, leave his holiday leave, and it had he didn't have any more left for the year, and we were like, "That's a thing." <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you have to ask for leave. What? No. Yeah. Um. So when you went freelance, how do you go about finding work? Chat us through that process. Oh yes, the big question of where do clients come from, yeah. or rather, where do good clients come from? Yeah. So my confession here is that all except one of my clients came to me through my network. Uh, that was former clients, uh, former colleagues, friends, friends of friends, agents I knew. And I know it's probably not what people want to hear, but I've tried other ways of getting clients, trust me, and I do not recommend those other ways. <laughs> no, that's good. Um, and you mentioned, of course, that you mainly work with brands, less agency. Why is that? I know we've discussed it before, but it'll be great for our listeners to understand. No, of course, there's a few reasons. One thing is because I'm working the way I work now. So I work with kind of nano teams where I can build my own micro agency for each specific project, maybe three or four people. This means that you can work with the brands you actually want to work with, who, you know, the, the new brands, the young and brave brands who can't afford an agency, but they are the ones people actually dying to work with. 
But because you're not charging what an agency charges, you can actually earn more by working with brands you want to work with. So that's quite, that's, I think it's a win-win. Another reason, and that's a really important one for me, is, um, and I know this will sound funny coming from someone who spent seven years in advertising, but my ethics and intellectual honesty are really important to me. Mm. And I had some severe internal battles back in my agency days over some of the briefs that came in. For sure. So yeah, feel we you talk on about that, that a lot. Right. About, is it right to be working on oil or big pharma or you know, the gambling and... <laughs> yeah, and it goes further than that. There's a lot of things like identity politics and I'm not going to yes. try and cancel myself live on your show, but <laughs> <laughs> but I don't always hold the popular opinion and I don't like it when people manipulate data and facts or they choose a good cause, but then a really unhelpful approach to the cause. Yes. And you can't say much. You can't really turn it down without developing a certain reputation. And now it's not a problem anymore. So that's really great. Yeah, and, and now you can kind of choose and you can be the, the person who dictates what you take on as exactly. opposed to just being assigned. That's exactly or... it, yeah. And I think also what's important is that you learn so much more from my experience um, when you work directly with brands than you would do as a creative in an agency. It's just, it's night and day. It's insane. Yeah, And that yeah. actually ends up uh, raising your value because when you're working directly with your client and when you develop that trust so they start talking to you, honestly, you see what's going on behind the scenes it's a new world for me, especially because I'm not a born entrepreneur. I actually don't think I am an entrepreneur, at least not in the Steve Jobs uh, yeah. sort of uh, terminology. Take, take risks, be massively yeah. brave and spend lots and lots of money. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I was born in a distinctly non-rich family in the north of Russia. So to me, to be talking to people who run multi-million businesses is insane. And to learn that they are also just humans who, who also have problems, who also sometimes are quite chaotic, who need help. This is amazing. And then to see how you can actually be helpful in more ways than, than you expected is fantastic. And that's how you raise your value with them because they can see now that you're not some airy, fairy, creative type who just wants to produce pretty words and pretty pictures to, you know, um, to fulfill your ambition as a creative. No, you're a person who understands business and you also understand that you, with your creativity, can help, uh, can help and solve business problems. And that's when they start to respect you. And I think that's something that not all creators understand, but I think it's so crucial to understand that the fact we can enjoy what we do is a bonus. It's not a birthright. Yeah. Yes. We should be so grateful that we can. And I think the more you realize this, the more you'll enjoy your work. Totally. And and I mean, I guess the one thing with client, when you are direct to client, you find that there's, you know, we sometimes have the buffer, obviously, of like a project manager or an account director to someone, buffer. Yeah, someone to create a brief for us. Yeah. Even. And how does it, I mean, you know, for you, then you're direct to the client. So you will get maybe the brunt of if they're not happy. Sometimes we get a bit protected. <laughs> <laughs> but and then, then again, you can have more honest conversations because then mm. on the other hand, we don't get to actually be like, can we just say this to them? <laughs> yeah, sometimes you have less access to the client than you, you would appreciate. This is true, but I think this is, again, why it's so good to get most of your clients through referrals and personal recommendations. Yeah. Because that is a different caliber of clients and they come pre-vetted and you come pre-vetted. In this relationship, the client starts to trust you before they've ever met you and this is priceless. And yeah. if these referrals come from people you have worked with in your lake, then you can trust that the, the the people they refer won't be assholes. Yeah. To put it bluntly. Right. I love that. Great. I guess you've mentioned something before about fulfilling your creative ambition. I really like that. <laughs> That's a really great phrase. 
Um, I think there's always time to do that, right? On the side, um, maybe doing side projects, side hustles. Harriet and I do a lot of like passion projects on the side. You do so much, guys. I'm I'm just I'm, I'm in the war. <laughs> Way too we much don't sleep. <laughs> yeah, sleep is overrated. Yeah, totally. It's for losers. Totally. <laughs> you have a section on your portfolio that is entirely dedicated to this. It's called non-work. So why do you think that's important? Uh, I would say for a few reasons. The first one and most important is that it shows your personality. So it it's the idea of bringing your whole self to work. You, you're adding your personal to your professional. And it's so crucial because business is just humans working with other humans. And we really like working with people we like. We're desperate to find common ground with people we meet or even just a conversation starter. So for example, Brittany, you have a packaging company and Harriet, you've done a TED talk. Wow, I have so many questions. <laughs> yeah. And I genuinely do have many questions, but you get my point. It's yeah. something to talk about beyond talking shop. Exactly. Yes, and yeah. then you get to know the person more as well and more of what actually drives them. Exactly, so you build mm. more of a connection. Exactly. Which fosters so, better trust, right? Yes, exactly. The second reason I think it's important is that it lets you show what you're capable of when you are in full control. Mm. Because we all know what a creative project goes through before it sees light of day. Totally. Right? I love that. It yeah. goes through all the circles of hell, from client feedback to internal politics, external politics, regulations, egos and then what comes out at the other end is hardly ever what you really wanted to produce 100%. it's kind of like if a dog eats and it eats this lovely food and then it poops out that's what it comes out that's how it comes out that's brutal great instagram true. account if yes. creatives submitted what their vision for the project was and what the outcome was genius that would be, that would shall be we do so it yeah, yeah let's we do have it. to do we it have to do that it. was a brutal analogy <laughs> wow bravo and you know what happens then some clients try to polish that thing that comes out oh yeah oh, no. oh, if you know what i mean most of the time <laughs> I mean, one of the pieces that um, on that section of your portfolio that we absolutely love is the timeout heard on the street submissions. I mean, it's just fascinating. I don't know if anyone has ever read these timeout. I actually saw them the other day in the timeout and I was looking for your ones. Um, but how do you find them? I mean, please share, you know, also some of your favorites. Sure. Shall I explain what it is for people who don't know? Yes, yes, yes. yes cool. Please do. So timeout, word on the street, is a regular feature in Time Out magazine where they publish the most ridiculous things overheard in London and tweeted in by the readers. So I've been doing it for a few years. It's great fun. They did take it um, offline, I guess, or they just killed it for two years during the pandemic, which I think was silly because people didn't stop saying silly shit or funny shit no. rather. Um, and I think they should have just re renamed it into Word on the Sofa. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Totally. But anyway, it's back now. Thank God. I'm sending more stuff in. I've had about 80 published so far. Very proud of it. Amazing. That you is must, amazing. You must be the most published person, surely, out of everyone that submits stuff. Brittany, I think so, but I, I can't get them to confirm. I've actually asked them this, but they don't, they're not very good at replying. So. When are they going to start giving you an entire column? I know, exactly. and a salary. Exactly. For Christ's sakes, I know. You're giving them free stuff. Yeah. I, to be fair, I actually, I forgot to actually look at it on my phone, but I did write one down the other day thinking, I was like, I heard something. We can chat about you it. You have to send it in. You just tweet so at Time Out London, hashtag word on the street, and just the quote, no quotation marks, just go for it. So if you wanted my favorites, I knew you would ask, so I came prepared. I've got five including the origin. So amazing. <laughs> so one is, I'm not gluten intolerant, I'm gluten prejudiced. <laughs> amazing. And that was a colleague at AMV 
Uh, another one also from AMV around Christmas time was Brussels sprouts are basically cabbage embryos. Oh, oh my that God. is accurate. <laughs> so accurate. They even look like this. They're gross, but very accurate, yes. Then, um, courtesy of a friend of mine who I won't name, is um, I got cock blocked by a puppy. <laughs> oh, I mean, <laughs> I mean fair. actually, fair. Yeah, fair. fair. <laughs> I think it happens. Um, another that. one came from a production company, and that is Star Wars is basically EastEnders in space. Oh, <laughs> you know extenders, right? I, yeah, and it's, I haven't even watched any of the Star Wars, but the amount of Star Wars that are out there, I can relate <laughs> that it is probably East Enders in space. <laughs> yeah, and last but not least, uh, also courtesy of a friend I'm not gonna name is I've reached the end of Tinder. Oh, I've <laughs> done that. I've done that. Done yeah. that. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think is it a woman thing? Because I'd love to know if guys ever reach the end. I find women are more picky. If I've noticed how my male friends treat Tinder is they swipe a lot more right than women do. And maybe it's a like thing of odds. See how far you get. I think it's a fact. I think they do swipe right now. The more lines in the water, the more fish get caught. They hedge their bets. Yes. Yeah. Whereas women don't. We we take less risk and go for the gold. (laughs) Yeah. And the third reason it's important to have your non-work section. Yes. Yes is that you can show off your additional skills because yes. those can be like gold dust. So for example, Brittany by now is probably a an e-commerce wizard, which <laughs> you might not see in your portfolio, right? Yeah. But through through uh, pack plan, you have become that. And additional skills can be absolute godsend. That's how you raise your value, really. So it's quite wise to show them off, I think. 100%. And when we initially started freelancing and we worked with recruiters, they would give us a brief and go, oh, do you have examples of this in your portfolio? And if you didn't have the example, they would just wouldn't put you forward for the job. Yeah. And we were like, well, you can see everything in our portfolio would match to this level. But sometimes they're so small minded. So that is a good point. You know, put in those yeah. side things, because if they did have it come across, as you mentioned, Brittany, having e-commerce skills, that is a perfect example. And it's in this in, in your non-work section which is great exactly exactly how do you make sure that you make time in your schedule to prioritize projects like this that are important and that you're passionate about that is a great question because up until recently it was such a struggle Mm. but two months ago i learned an amazing life hack it's kind of life-changing I'm sure you won't need it because you guys seem to truly have your shit together. (laughs) We just seem like it. (laughs) But for the rest of us. So I'm really bad at uh, self-discipline. I just have none. Yeah. I'm lazy as... as, Okay, I'm going to say, I'm lazy as fuck. (laughs) (laughs) I find it quite hard to focus and finish things unless they're things I like doing, like copywriting. But if you don't have a deadline, and normally you don't with self-initiated projects, you're only accountable to yourself. Yeah. That's when I struggle. And what happens normally when you have a to-do list where some of the items are personal items is they get just pushed back and back and back because they are lower priority. Mm. So you have, let's say, three things on your in your diary today, three things on your to-do list, finish this thing, write the article and look into the third thing. And then, of course, you end up not doing at least one of them because other things come in. There's some kind of a curveball. There always is. And at the end of the day, you start feeling like shit because you're a failure who never finishes anything. And it's not good for your self-esteem. It's not good for your to-do list either. Mm -mm. And you just end up not doing those things. So the hack that I learned is so stupidly 
simple. I'm amazed I didn't know before, but all you have to do is you add a number to your to-do list items. You just add the number of hours and minutes you have to spend on each task. That's it. So when you say, finish the article, and you sit down to do it, and it turns out it's a rabbit hole, and you've spent six hours and you need to go to bed and you still haven't completed it, you feel like you haven't done it. But if you said three hours on the article, you can do three hours. Yeah. It might. It doesn't matter if it, you haven't finished it because now at least you know how much longer you'll need and then you just add more time tomorrow and it's done. So now I'm wondering how the fuck I got anything done until until <laughs> now. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, we, we did the artist way. Was it last year or the year before? Oh God, it was last year. I mean, we, didn't, we never finished it. It is quite intensive, but... Is that the one where you write things... Morning writing, morning yes, pages. Yes, morning pages. Right. Morning yes. pages. And I tried. Basically, you could start, all you had to do was write two and a half pages. I'm going to call bullshit on the artist's way right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, fast. <laughs> two and a half pages, but at least it gave a limit, you know? So yeah. it, it felt manageable instead of writing a whole thing. So in that sense, the limits do exist. <laughs> Let's let's get on to, you wrote this amazing article uh, called Want to Become a High-Earning Freelancer, where you list, and I quote, zero bullshit, <laughs> highly specific steps to raise your value as a freelancer. And it just really resonated with us when we chatted growing your value. And there's so many aspects about growing your value. And it would be great to understand, you know, what does growing your value actually mean to you? And why is it so important? Yeah, absolutely. And thank you for the kind words. So let's just uh, get the terminology straight first about what value means. And I'm not an economist by any means, but as far as I understand, value can only exist in an exchange. And in our case, it's the, the exchange of our labor for money, clients' money usually. And so in that situation, from their perspective, our value is about to what degree we can solve their problems or improve their life and their business. It's as simple as that. There are other aspects of value that are less tangible or more subjective. So for example, being fun to work with Hmm. is not tangible, but it can be really important, especially if imagine you have a new client for a long-term project, very hands-on, you have to collaborate a lot. It really helps if it's with somebody with whom you could happily go to the pub afterwards, right? Exactly. Yeah, that's why Brittany and I work so well together. <laughs> you have your best friend, it's fun, you can cry and laugh, that will happen today. <laughs> exactly. And if you have the same relationship with your client, that's absolutely priceless. It's like working with a friend, it's just great. The second example of that kind of intangible value could be shared values. That's becoming, so we're talking about different kinds of values, right? Ethics mm. and morals. And that's becoming increasingly, increasingly more important to people. I think people with principles like to work with people with principles. Mm. So I would say never hide what you really think. Never hide your opinions. Be brutally honest, or maybe not brutally, but radically honest about your views because... It's rare these days, to be honest. It can even be dangerous. People get cancelled, but I think it's important. And that's another example of intangible value, which can translate into things like higher grades or more regular work from the same client. And a third example would be something like your network, for example. We don't think about it as something that adds value to us. But if you think about it, if a client has a task that you can't help them with, but you know somebody who can, you're saving them time and headache and trial and error of trying to find somebody among strangers on some website like Upwork or one of those other hit and miss platforms. <laughs> yeah. If you know what I mean. Stay away. Um, yeah. So you're giving them somebody tried and tested, somebody trusted. That's invaluable. So that's raising your value in their eyes as well. 
So those are the examples of what value is, how it works. The basics are make my life better or easier and you're valuable to me. Yeah. So that's what we're talking about. And then, of course, the more value you have, the more you grow your value, the more irreplaceable you become. And the more irreplaceable you are, the more negotiation power you have. Mm. And that means that you can work on better projects, for better clients, for better pay. You can choose what to say no to and what to, how to work, where to work from, what hours to do. Because if you're hard to replace, you can dictate your conditions. Not in a nasty way, but this is how it works, essentially. And that's why raising your value is essentially just career progression. Yeah. I really like the the thing that you were saying there about being your most authentic self at work. Um, I think it was in the second point that you were making there. I love that because I, I always think about Harriet and I in this way. We're very much ourselves at work and we're always you know our authentic selves and we walk into rooms and we walk into presentations and we've got big bold energy and we laugh and we joke and we sing in presentations (laughs) and at the end of it we always get the same comments and they're always that was so entertaining thank you so much for all of your energy and your excitement that was a great presentation like regardless of the work your enthusiasm your enthusiasm (laughs) exactly And that really is just because Harriet and I, that's how we operate when we're walking down the street or, you know, when we're uh, sitting next to each other on a couch at one of our homes. That's how we are in our lives and that's how we are at work. And we've found that that has actually been a great way for us to foster relationships. Absolutely. And I'm amazed that people don't do it more because it's the easiest thing to do. Being two people is exhausting. Yeah. (laughs) So just be yourself. And I think uh, talking about singing in presentations, I think especially when you work with clients directly, with brands directly, we can forget that our job is not just to come up with ideas, it's to sell the ideas as well. Yes. So any way you can bring it to life, including singing or rapping like <laughs> I've done once. Amazing. But anything, every little helps. So that's important. We've once been in presentations where we present and other teams present as well. And we're quite shocked about how some people present with not much emotion or like they don't want to be there like they aren't super excited about their ideas if you're not excited about your work how do you expect anyone else to buy into it and be excited about it yeah oh absolutely and one more thing that i remember a client once said and i've heard it since is that our creative presentation is the most fun part of their week and we forget this because to us you know oh we have a job where we get paid to look at cats online to them they mostly look at spreadsheets. Yeah, Seeing us exactly. is the highlight of their week. So the least we can do is make it fun for them. That's what we had actually last week, Friday, we presented to a client and they said they were so grateful for ending their week on such a high. Mm. We did sing in that presentation. <laughs> <laughs> what were you singing about? We remade the song, uh, Do You Like Pina Coladas? Oh, yes. And we remade it to be about <laughs> vegan cheese. Vegan cheese. <laughs> and what's the brand of? A vegan cheese brand. Yes. Yeah. Just checking. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. That's all we could say. Nice. So what made you actually come to this realization about um, actually doubling down on your value and and spending more time sort of increasing it? Mm. That was not an overnight thing. I think the first time I became aware of it was back in my agency days where I started to research how to negotiate a higher salary. Oh. As you do. Yes. Yes. And of course, to do that, you have to explain why you deserve more money beyond inflation. And so to do that, you have to explain to them why you're valuable. So for example, maybe you've come up with a few spec ideas that got made and got some PR for the agency. 
maybe you have been presenting more and more in person to clients and they have given good feedback. So your ECG now knows they can trust you to do that and not keep you in cages like wild animals, like some creatives are. Or maybe you've organized a pub club for your whole agency or department, like my amazing ex-colleagues, Ben and Scott at AMV BBDO. And for these reasons, you become more valuable to your agency. So that was the first time I became aware of it. And then once you go solo or at least independent, it becomes so much easier to see where it comes from because you're working directly with clients and they basically tell you. They tell you how you could be more useful. They tell you what they need and you can see how you can give them more value. And that becomes a lot easier. Totally. I mean, going into freelancing and coming from going permanent to freelancing, you know, what are the issues in the industry that really undermine the value of freelancers? Because as clients, they have the foundation or the trust, if you could say, of an agency. And now suddenly utilizing freelancers, and this goes for clients and straight to agency. You know, there's all these websites and everything that undermine like the financial value. But what do you think are the systemic issues in the industry that really undermine the value of us being freelancers? Mm, that's a good question. So you've touched upon those freelancer platforms. Do we want to talk about them or skip Oh, them? yeah, talk about them. Yeah? Let's okay, let's them. bitch. <laughs> <laughs> this is a podcast to bitch as well. <laughs> There's things like Fiverr. Yes. People per hour. Upwork, which is supposedly a bit more upmarket, but I don't think it is really. With things like Fiverr and people per hour. Oh, God. Do not go there, kids. <laughs> Warning. What happens there is that people who don't understand creativity and the business of creativity and what it can do for a business, go there, see those prices. They go, oh, you can buy a logo for a fiver. Wow, somebody can do all of my website copy for, for 100. They get really distorted ideas about A, pricing, mm. because those are not the real prices. You don't get an original logo for a fiver. And God knows what you get for 100 if you pay for your website copy <laughs> secondly they get this really distorted idea of our actual value mm. and those clients mostly they can be nice people but it's just not the same caliber as you would get from referrals so i've been burnt a few times i'm not on there anymore thank god but back in the day when i was just starting out uh, and i don't mean two years ago i mean before that when i was mm. kind of just supplementing my low agency salary yeah doing some design jobs and things like that you meet so many douchebags who just waste your time and change their minds five times and question your rates and just try to get as much free advice as they can and then they disappear. Yeah. I almost feel like they don't take their business seriously. Almost. It, you know, yes, it's an investment. Yeah, it's an investment. Dear God, I love my friends. But, you know, we've had this with, with friends before or people that you know where it's like, oh, I'm starting this business. Can you do me a quick logo for a fiver, let's say? Mm. And I'm like, you are starting this business. This is something that you're investing your time and your money into. This is huge. You need to invest in the branding of it and the marketing of it. Yes. You know, I've had a really interesting way of looking at it. You said the word investment and somebody said, and it doesn't, it's not a bulletproof analogy, but I like it. They said, don't call it an investment. It's more like a running cost. So you wouldn't dream as a business owner, for example, of saying, oh, I don't need to buy internet. I don't need running water and an office mm. space. I don't need to pay rent. No, no, no. Hang on. Those are the things you absolutely must have. And you can't say, oh, we succeeded in our business because we had an office or because we had electricity and Wi-Fi. But you cannot ever succeed without those things. Yeah. Yes. Now, this is where this analogy 
stops working because of course branding can do so much more than those those things and also there's a lot more variation in quality so you can't get you know wi-fi that's 500 times more valuable than average <laughs> whereas with branding and advertising you can but i think it's an interesting way of looking at it because an investment feels like something that's optional and this is a running cost yeah just start campaigning yes <laughs> this is a running cost yeah so those those platforms i would say if you're just starting out and if for some reason you don't have a good network yet you might have to work with those platforms at first but please please be selective mm. only work with nice people if you spot red flags run and then just get the hell out of there as soon as possible <laughs> and switch switch to 100% inbound inquiries which is what you want really i think the other thing that makes it hard to place a value in creativity or makes it hard for customers or clients is that it's it kind of seems like this ethereal thing like something that you can't necessarily place a worth on. So you could have a logo done and it could get you nowhere or you could have a logo made and it, you could become Coca-Cola, right? So it's like, how do you put a price tag on the unknown and where that brand will take you and what it will do for you? I remember working in-house um, in a permanent role and I felt really undervalued in terms of my creative skill set because I was working alongside a lot of amazing, um, you know, marketing peers and colleagues who could really tangibly put numbers against their worth and their value to the company. They could say, you know, I'm driving this many sales, I'm driving this many clicks through to the website from our newsletters and things like that. Whereas I was going, why well, I'm making things look really beautiful and, <laughs> you know, making things look so wonderful that people want to click. But, you know, was it me or was it just the email being sent? So that is spot on. That is the next thing I was going to mention that undermines our value. And it's the fact that our industry is notoriously tricky when it comes to measuring the ROI. Yes. Branding in particular, advertising to some degree. It is almost impossible because we are a part of the project, a part of a machine where so many elements are out of our control. So Nike, the Nike logo cost $30 to make initially. It, and you know what? I would say at the time, it probably was worth thirty dollars. Yeah, but now it's not. So that's a really that is the one billion dollar question. Really, there are some things we can do. There are some bits of research, not many, that we can look into and collect and present to people um, that show that there is a direct correlation between putting money behind your branding and advertising and your business success. Mm. So overall, we know it's a fact, and there are numbers behind this that businesses that do invest in design and branding on average do better than those who don't. There are stats and figures you can look up. We yes. should all do that. Yeah, so that's one thing we can do. Another thing is that because we all understand that there's many elements to this, you know, you can make an amazing branding package, but then if the person doesn't do PR or they fuck up their logistics or something else, or maybe there's a pandemic happening, we all understand that we can't take full credit for it succeeding. But equally, we're not the ones to, to blame when it fails. But what we can do is when we talk about the projects we participated in, we can phrase it in ways that don't make it sound like we're taking the full credit. And this is just copywriting, essentially. But we can phrase it in a way that we don't come across as, you know, single-handedly. <laughs> you know, I built a brand that grew 20% year on year. Like, hell you did. Like, hell you did. Yeah. No. <laughs> So that's the second thing we can do. Another thing is, and that's an important one, is testimonials. 
Because yes, mm. love that. Something we've thought about actually putting on our website. You have some. I do too. Did we? I think we updated it. Recently. Oh, we updated it recently. So, well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> I forgot about that. You're so efficient. You don't even know how much you've done. Yeah. <laughs> when did we do that? <laughs> no, exactly. And I can talk about testimonials for days on end, I swear. I'm going to touch upon them later, but for now, let's just say it's really good to gather feedback. And one particular type of feedback people don't usually gather. So we will ask our clients right after the completion of the project, we'll say, you know, how was it? And they'll say, oh, pleasure to work with. That's just the first part of it. You have to come back to them again, six months later, a year later and say, hey, um, asking for a friend. (laughs) (laughs) Could you tell me what has happened since? What have you achieved? How was it all perceived? Has our work contributed in any way, do you think? And be honest. But then that's how you get those results. That's when you can say, you know, we took part in creating a brand that grew 20% year on year for five years. That's a great tip, actually, to do that, to check in a year later. That's a really great tip. Another thing, are you glad? There's there's more things under value. No, I love it. Undermining our value. The other thing is the average rates in our industry. Yes. Yes. Oh, yes. Yes. So so for for those listeners who don't know, (laughs) if there are any (laughs) such people, you are supposed to charge an average of um, whatever your peers charge, depending on your level of seniority. So for example, if you're a senior copywriter, you can't charge more than a CD, which is just ridiculous. Because last time I worked with Sean Doyle, who is pretty much in the top five copywriters who have ever lived. And this was at TBWA a long time ago. His actual job title was copywriter, not senior copywriter, not head of copy, not CD. And okay, he wasn't a freelancer, but trust me, he was not earning less than CDs. And yes, okay, he's a celebrity, but this can happen to anybody. So imagine if you run a pitch for some NFT-based project or company, and you're a, let's say, a midway copywriter, but you live and breathe NFTs. You've minted them, you've sold them, you've bought them, you've made thousands off of them. You really know this shit and you can write about it in a really fun, human, understandable way. Why the fuck? Should you charge the average rate for a midway creative if you are replacing a team of researchers? If you are hard to replace, it doesn't matter what the fuck anyone else is charging. Yeah, 100%. I'm like, <laughs> in the background. Everybody's just like jumping up and down here. Uh, and and oh, it's, so, it's, it's so powerful when you do know that. It's just about the individual person knowing that. And I mean, that's the thing, something we covered in the first season was just knowing your worth and how to charge your worth because a lot of the time and I mean again we touched on it and when Brittany first decided to go freelance was how much do you charge how much am I worth you know I'm now diving from a permanent into a freelance life do I start at the bottom no you got all this experience we had a conversation with someone about this the other day Mm -hmm. and she was um, in the process of going freelance And she said something where we kind of got the impression that she was thinking of herself as starting as a junior freelancer. And we were just like, but wait, hang on. How many years of experience have you got in the industry? You've been working for eight to 10 years already. You're not, you can, you know, you don't have to go in. Freelancer is not a job title. It's just the way you do work. Exactly. Self-employed. Well, one interesting way to do it, to see how much you can charge. That's a very simple rule of thumb, but if most clients accept your price instantly and easily, you're undercharging. Yes. They don't bat an eyelid. 
Yes. Exactly. That's that's a winning sign. You should really, really raise your rates. Love it. This is your message. This is your reminder. <laughs> this is the sign rates. from the universe. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so what exactly have you learned through the process of growing your own value? I would say two things. One is that it's crucial to understand and be able to express your own value. Mm. Put it in words. Say it confidently. And the second thing is that it's 10 times better if you can get somebody else to do it for you. Uh, so Yeah, so coming back to testimonials and referrals, it is so much more powerful and less cocky when somebody can say, these two are the shit. Yeah. <laughs> that, is, that is where you want to be. This cuts out the most awkward part of any client relationship because a new client comes to you prepared. They already trust you. They already know you are the shit. You don't have to negotiate the price because they probably know it or at least they have been sold you. That's the two things. Yeah, I'd say know, know what your superpowers are. Creative Mornings. I don't know if you've, um, if they're back at it in London, but it basically it's worldwide and you get together the first morning of every month of, on a Thursday and everyone around the world does. The woman who started it, Tina Roth Eisenberg, she says, just, she does a TED talk and she says, discover what your superpower is and then utilize that too. Exactly. And you can ask around. Sometimes we don't see our own superpowers. So ask your closest five colleagues who really know you, ask them what your superpower is. And then, like I said, the second step, that's the the dream, is to get somebody else to say that for you. That is the goal. I love this because some of the best jobs that Harriet and I have ever taken and the best agencies we work for have actually come as referrals from other other freelancers. Yeah. That's true. Or people who have been at other agencies that have moved there and then called us, which has been great. Have you had any other experiences? Has anyone come to you via other means? Uh, we've had people... Uh, who have we had? I'm trying to think. Cold, cold, hard people come to us. <laughs> <laughs> cold, hard email? Yeah. Um, we have had people come through, you know, LinkedIn. They've seen our post on LinkedIn and mm. they will get in touch with us. During the pandemic, we did it every week when we had no work. We would put out a little funny gif of Brittany and I on opposite ends of the entire world and oh. trying to look for work. And it was incredible, the response that you get from that and just keeping it consistent. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's happened. Yeah, generally, it's it's via via. You know, on this topic, you know, what? why do you think it is important for you to actually share all this knowledge that you have discovered about growing your value with other creatives. Mm. Well, growing your value means doing better work on better projects for better clients for more pay, which I think is the same as progressing your career as far as creative freelancing goes. So if I can help even one person to shave off a couple of months or maybe, maybe a year off their learning curve and grow their career faster i'll die happy so that's all it's about it's about me dying happy so it's for only for selfish reasons <laughs> that's why it's important i love it that's the whole reason Brittany and i yeah. actually started this podcast was <laughs> to be like come on guys you can do this and we're backing you <laughs> and obviously to advertise ourselves obviously <laughs> selfish reasons. you and your massive egos <laughs> exactly <laughs> giant <laughs> You are so confident in the way that you speak about this and also the way that you are, you know, having met you in person and chatted to you over email and things like that. You, you write a killer email, can we just say? Oh yeah, killer oh, email. With emojis. <laughs> the best. Do you ever deal with imposter syndrome um, and how do you actually overcome that? 
Can I just say thank you so much for thinking I'm confident? <laughs> I've tricked you. It's a facade. It is not a natural skill it, at all. And I think that imposter syndrome comes with that. They just go hand in hand. When I first came to the UK 16 years ago, I used to rehearse what to say to bus drivers. Oh. I still remember it. It was single to Hastings, please. Repeat five times, then get on the bus. And phone calls, oh my God, do not even, don't, please, anything but a phone call. Especially oh if the person God. is from Glasgow. It's like, oh, um, oh yes. sorry, sorry, the line is, something's wrong with the line. And hang up. And oh, then yes. hope that somebody else picks up next time who's not from Scotland. You would you would not handle talking to our accountant on the phone. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so it's an acquired skill for sure. And the fact that you think oh, I sound confident is proof that anybody can achieve it. Because it is a muscle, it's a skill, mm. you can work it. And it does get easier. And while I never focused on imposter syndrome, though I did have it, but I never specifically worked on that. Instead, I just focused on my self-esteem and confidence. And I actually didn't think about it until you asked me the question, but I haven't felt imposter syndrome probably since I quit the agency. Amazing. So the last year, especially the solo year, has done more for my self-esteem than six years in in agencies yes yes yeah i love that you said it was a muscle as well sarah blakely the founder of spanx i love sarah Blakely. love her she talks a lot about um getting used to being embarrassed Mm. so the more you embarrass yourself the less you feel embarrassed so she tries to embarrass herself as often as possible yeah Mm. she didn't she say she took a stand-up comedy course just so she could be on stage and yeah Yes, her face so in front good. of people. It's so brave. And she also has this thing, I think we've watched the same master, uh, masterclass with her probably. Uh, she does this thing in her agency, sorry, agency. Yeah. Not everything is an agency. <laughs> <laughs> At Spanx where um, they they all come up on stage one by one and say how they fucked up this week. Oh, really? I think yes. they do it to the background of, um, oops, I did it again. Oh, I love Spears. that. Yes. Britney's nodding here. It's another Britney. So yeah, I think they do that. And I think it's genius. It's really, really good. And I think parents really need to instill that in their kids that you can and should fuck up. The more, the better. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I remember when I was with my friend and her kid and he was doing something and I was like, oh no, no, no that that's not, that's not the way. And she's like, no, we don't say that. We say, and how else can you do it? <laughs> yeah. And, but there are other ways to build your confidence. And there are two ways. And one is a placebo. And one is the real meds. But the good news is we all know that placebos work even when we know it's a placebo, which is mind boggling, <laughs> but it works. So I think the way to build your confidence is you fake it until you build up enough proof that you're actually good. So the way it works is you you put on a brave face until you get a good project to work on. Then you work your ass off, you do great work, you get good feedback, and that feedback becomes factual evidence that you're good and you store it somewhere in a file or a folder. And then you put on a brave face again on a bigger, better project and do it again. Wash, rinse, repeat. And then eventually your evidence file gets to a point where you no longer have to fake ever again. That's, yeah, I, I'm, I'm like, where's my post-it notes? I want to write some of this. We're going to listen to our own podcast back and take notes. I love that. I think it's oh. so important. We should all be screenshotting Yes, every positive comment that we get and just keeping a little folder on our desktop when you need a bit of upliftment. And look, not everybody needs this. I know people who are just born confident or they were brought up this way and I'm jealous as fuck. I'm not one of those people. I don't think you are either. 
you can't tell now because yeah. you know we've done good work and people have said nice things especially people with low self-esteem i think it's so important to celebrate every single bit of feedback good feedback that is every single achievement keep that folder somewhere i have a very long google doc and i don't have to go through it every day or even every week these days i used to do now it's maybe a monthly thing on dark days but it's invaluable. It's a reminder. It's like an aff- it's an affirmation. Yes, and it's factual evidence that you're yeah. not shit. <laughs> Irrefutable. Exactly. Uh, we've spoken so much amazing things about growing your value that doesn't necessarily, you know, mean monetary. But you had a quote in your article that money is just a metric that shows how much value you're giving. Um, in your article for Entrepreneur's Handbook and How to Become a Higher Earning Freelancer. I'd just love to discuss that quote um, more in depth because I think often, and I know us being freelancers, sometimes money becomes a little bit of a focus because A, you don't have the stability of a long-term you know, contract or permanent job and rates and how much your value is on there, but it's not everything. It is not everything. Let's say you want to only work with charities. They're not going to have massive budgets, right? But you really want to do work that you really care about. Maybe you have some other way to supplement your income, right? So the way to grow your value, or rather the effect you get from growing your value with them is not going to be reflected in your pay necessarily. That might happen, but it might not. But it could be the kind of project you trusted with, the kind of authority you're given, the Mm. trust they show you. Maybe they will take you with them on a trip. When I was a uh, volunteer working for a charity. I was unpaid. However, they liked working with me, I guess, because they took me on this amazing trip to Hong Kong by way of Mumbai. Wow. Which, yeah, and it could never have happened. I was living in a bloody village in East Sussex. And this was just unbelievable. And that is one of the most memorable things in my life. And that happened because I gave up my Thursdays for you know maybe three months to try and raise funds for this charity. And that was absolutely, of course it was value. It and it gave value to you and your life as well. Oh, that's what I mean. Yeah, absolutely. To me, that was one of the most valuable things that an employer has ever given me. So there are different ways um, that people can show you how valuable you are without paying you more if they can't afford it. For example, if a client trusts you enough, you can say, look, I'm going to go work from a Greek island. I know there is a time difference, but it's minimal. It's three three hours only. Don't worry. And they know not to worry because they know, you, you know you're a woman of your word. So that's one of those things. Or you can say, actually, do you know what? The Greek island was nice, but now I'm thinking Thailand. (laughs) (laughs) And more of a a time gap. But how about I give you two hours of in-person time per day and the rest I do in my own time whenever I want. Maybe at night, maybe after partying. Does anyone give a shit? No, because you do good work. And you've proven. You've proven you have. Precisely. So that's another way people can pay you back without paying you in, you know, in actual hard cash. But hard cash does help. (laughs) But the reason I use that quote in my article is because for me personally, this is kind of backwards, but I've always had a difficult relationship with money growing up in the Soviet Union where money is just dirty and anyone who is rich could not have possibly uh, earned it in an honest way. So all rich people were bad. Mm. And so I had to really work through this shit. So that to me was a way of, I guess, feeling okay about being paid more because I felt a bit, ugh. Mm. oh, I'm, you know, oh, money. So when I saw, okay, hang on, people are giving me more money because maybe I'm being more helpful to them. Why is that a bad thing? So that's why I said the quote. That's why I said that line. 
And then I guess just finally to chat over some simple ways that freelancers can grow their value. What are things that they can do? Yes, of course. That's what we're here for, right? Yes. To give them actionable steps. But before I do that, can I just say simple doesn't mean easy. Mm. Yes. However, the very first one is simple and easy at the same time. And that is, listen carefully. Raise your rates. Yes. (laughs) Raise your rates. Pause this podcast right now. Please, please, please. Go and bump up your, your rates, your dailies, your hourlies, however you charge. There are at least four great reasons for this. I'm going to cover all four. One, unless you're a charlatan, you actually start doing better work because you feel like you have to justify mm. the new higher rate. The second thing that happens when you raise your rates is that your confidence grows. You actually start f- feeling like, okay, maybe I'm a hundred pounds per hour copywriter after all, and I'm going to do work that matches that. The third thing is that you stop putting off good clients. Good clients understand the value of creativity for business. They know that you get what you pay for. So they can't afford to work with cheap freelancers. So when you charge too low, you actually are actively stopping good people from hiring you. So don't do that. And the fourth thing that happens when you start bumping up your rates, and that's really weird. It kind of freaked me out because I never thought of it, but people listen to you more. The more you charge, the more people listen. Who knew? Yeah, it's almost like <laughs> adding weight to your opinion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we do have that with value in general. It's like when we pay extra for a gym membership, we value it more. Yes, we go more because it's a lot of money to spend. <laughs> it's just basic psychology. Other than putting your rates up, what are other things that you could do to increase your value? We've touched upon some, so I'll come back to those. The second thing you can do is to stop saying yes to everything. Hmm. Because the highest paid freelancers are the highly selective freelancers. Think of it this way. Every time you say yes to something that's subpar, not quite right for you, you're basically saying no to your perfect projects, right? It's an opportunity cost. Or to put it another way, slightly more brutally, if you never say no, then your yes is worthless. Mm. Love that. Great, that. another great quote. <laughs> and, and again, so for example, let's say you have a specialism or something you really love doing. I love writing economist style headlines. I get hired to do this for other brands. You know, they say, oh, can we do a cross of Oatly and Economist? And I say, please. And if you want to pay me, that's fine, but you don't have to. You know, to me, that's my dream, dream project. On the other hand, I really don't like writing TV ads. Just not my jam. Mm. Some people are incredible at it. I'm, I don't know. I just not my thing. So if I say yes to TV ads, that means I can't be writing lines at the same time. And instead of developing my specialism where I'm really good, I'm working on something that I have no interest in, really. What's the point? So say no more. We need to learn that. We all need to say no more, (laughs) even in life. Even Yeah, even in life. This is true. This is true. I think we like to people please, and that's why we find it so hard to say no. The next thing on my list is to have an opinion and stand by it. And people don't really think of this as something that raises your value, But I think it does. We've talked about this. And as I like to say, people might not agree with your opinion, but they will respect you for having one. Yeah. Because not everyone does. And we mustn't forget that there are so many people doing what we do. There are literally hundreds of thousands of copywriters, art directors, creative directors, creatives. It may sound depressing, but it shouldn't be because there's nobody quite like you. And you should really, really, really show that. And that's why I think being open and being radically honest is so crucial because your beliefs and your values can become your usb they can become your actual niche sometimes it's also part of our jobs as creators to have that opinion i mean art directing shoots or or you know presenting copy 
So you don't just take a creative director's opinion as face value. You can challenge that. I had an, when I was a junior, I had a senior art director who said to me, never, ever, ever leave a shoot without having said everything that you've wanted to say. That's Ooh. really good advice. Yeah. Yeah. Will, I, and, I, and, I, and there are shoots where I haven't said everything and then I can't sleep at night. And it's to share that opinion because at the end of the day, yeah. you're trying to create a vision that you're working with all these people to make happen. And if you're just going to stand and be silent, Sally, mm-hmm. you're going to get frustrated with yourself, really. Agree. No, absolutely. And also, we can't forget that having an opinion is the difference between an expert and a vendor. And just to explain what I mean by this, a vendor is told what to do. An expert tells you what to do. Brilliant. So the next thing on my list is really, 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 really painful. <laughs> what is it? Now I'm nervous. <laughs> it's, it's good for masochists. It is to record your next presentation, your next client call. And it gets worse. You have to also listen to it afterwards. You can do it as a video thing, whatever, you know, however you want to hurt yourself because it is going to hurt, but you're going to learn so much so fast. You're going to catch all of your ums and ahs, which I do a lot. You're going to catch all of your parasite words, like, like, sort of, kind of, like, like. You're going to see how much you interrupt other people. You're going to see if you sound a little bit dead and lacking enthusiasm, which we talked about it before. <laughs> all of these things are going to just stare you in the face. It's not fun, but it's the first step to recovery. And presentation skills, as we've said before, are so crucial because our job is not just to come up with the ideas, great ideas but to sell them and we can't sell them if we're not good at presenting a hundred percent preach again (laughs) (laughs) i have more things on my list (laughs) oh please share (laughs) the next one is less painful and it's to add one great thing that they were not expecting so this is my way of putting this um piece of advice i'm sure you've had which is always over deliver which is so vague i don't want to over deliver just tell me what to do So that's what I would say. Pick something that would take you no more than an hour to do. Something they're not expecting from you, but do it anyway. So to use a personal example, I was writing copy for a client who's a solo entrepreneur and investor, and he prides himself on never cutting corners. So he talked about it a lot, and I really think it's a genuinely good USP. I can see it's true because I've worked with him for, for a long time. So at the end of the copy, what I did was mock up a business card for him where I added a line which went kind of around the corner saying, look at all these corners we didn't cut. And I just put it at the end of the doc, of the Google doc. And he really loved it. And he didn't ask for it. And I don't even know if he used it. But that's the kind of thing that people really do remember you by. And they see that you go the extra mile. I love that. Have you guys, do you guys do that? I mean, you sing in your presentations, (laughs) right? That's the bonus. That's the unexpected thing. (laughs) We remembered by it. So when we don't sing, they're like, where's the song? Oh no, you built up the expectations. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. But we get that comment a lot though. You, we often are told, oh, you've done so much work. Wow. This is a lot of work um, in such a short amount of time. We get that a lot. I think that's where you start raising your rates again. So I, I don't, think you should lie about how many hours it took you if you charge by the hour but if you are the person who can come up with more per hour of course you should charge more yeah yeah on on that note actually now it's almost like a light bulb is blowing up in my head (laughs) when people are saying oh what's how many hours will it take you you're right you can do it in three hours but that doesn't mean that that's just a three hour cost because you have the skills that allows you to have made it in three hours, 
but the actual cost equation. That's why I don't really love charging hourly rate just because people then think, oh my gosh, so many hours. Well, can you cut a few hours out and then it'll be a little bit cheaper and whatever. Yeah, it's that thing. Do you remember the story about Paula Cher? Oh, no, no, no. no oh, so it. this is a pentagram. Just hold that thought, Brittany. <laughs> so it's a story from Pentagram when Paula Cher was having lunch, I think, with their clients from Citibank. And she drew the new Citibank logo on a napkin, very famously, the one with the red umbrella. Yes. Right. And that famously became one of the most expensive logos, well, branding packages or branding projects ever made still people say oh it's a logo uh and somebody said it took you a second how is that a million dollars worth and she said it didn't take me a second it took me 36 years exactly yes this is exactly <laughs> what i was going to say except i didn't know it was paula Scher yes who said that. yes okay that was your exact thought <laughs> apparently it was apparently it was her what else is in your bag of tricks i've got two left go for it one we've talked about before, so I'm going to be brief. This is to find your confidence shortcut, I call it. I don't know about you guys. You must have your own little tricks. When you're bricking it, what do you do? We always remind ourselves that we're not doing open heart surgery. Oh my God, no one's going to die if we fuck up. I swear, I just want to make a series of posters that say it's only advertising or it's only branding. Yes. yes. And yes. just keep them on the wall in front of you all the time. Yeah. I've written it. I've literally written, it's not open heart surgery and stuck it up <laughs> on a wall next to myself while I've been working. I love that. That's great. So any more shortcuts for you? What or confidence? Do? Sometimes we will we'll get ourselves really pumped before a presentation. Mm, how? Like, oh, we you're jump up and down. Great, you're great. You're so good at what we do. Or we'll yeah. just be like, come it's dance time. And then yeah. we'll put on like one of our favorite tracks and then dance around I the room that. and just go crazy and get the energy get pumping. really energy pumped yeah. we get so pumped yeah. actually that's apparently that is scientifically proven to work so even your posture yes. actually helps yeah so that absolutely works my trick and i'm not even embarrassed to say it well a little bit is to pick a character that you channel when you are bricking it yes who's your character so my character Used to be. He hasn't come back in a while, but it's Don Draper from Mad Men. I love <laughs> it. Love it. Love it. Yeah, so he hasn't come back in maybe a year. Maybe I'm lying a little bit. It still happens, you know. I mean, even now on the podcast, it's just not a natural, it's not my natural habitat. Yes. Yeah. This is not normal. So I'm a little bit, you know, I can feel my heart beating now. Oh. So Don Draper has helped me a lot. Uh, so thank you, John Hamm, for that. Yeah. And I've only got one more left. And that is to make your next email the best you've ever written. Clear writing is both a sign and a cause of clear thinking. And please give me clear thinking people any day, all day, it's so important. And when you see an email that's a pleasure to read, either because it's super clear and actionable or because it has a really powerful call to action at the end, everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing or because it's fun and informal, maybe all three, maybe there's a GIF and a spreadsheet, <laughs> you know, all of these things really help and people do notice and you can absolutely tell a good person to work with by how they write their emails. So that's the next step. That's it. There's a bit more in my article if people want to read that. But yes, I think we'll definitely put a link to that in the in the show notes. <laughs> <laughs> what are they called again? Show notes. Uh, this is so great and um, we hope you're all enjoying this. It would be awesome to also know, you know, what has been your proudest moments so far as a freelancer? Being here right now actually is one of them. Oh, Genuinely, I mean, wow. no, thank you so much. And I think my proudest moments have changed so much since I quit agency life because agencies make you think that 
awards are mm. <laughs> oh everything. But when I think about what's going to keep me doing this, what's going to keep me excited about what I do, it's not the cold metal things on a shelf. It's going to be people's words. Mm. And that's what I'm going to say. Not It's not just one proudest moment, but many moments. And I'm a huge fan of celebrating every single thing when you're a freelancer, when you work for yourself, because nobody else will. And so the proudest moments are those bits of feedback I get from clients, sometimes from colleagues. Those are the ones that genuinely just make me feel like I fucking love doing this. And the fact that I enjoy the work and the people, and it looks like I've actually done something that was valuable to them, that just keeps me going. I can't really, I don't think we can ask for much more than that. No, that's beautiful. On the other end of the spectrum, what is the toughest challenge that you've faced so far? Right. So on this one, I'm going to ask for your advice because I have not solved it yet. And that is to switch off. How the fuck do you switch off when you go solo, right? Or at least, well, you can be a team, you can be a solo, but you go independent and you realize that sky's the limit. You can get so much done. You can take on so many projects and nobody will know. You, so that means I could technically take on 14, 16 hours of work a day and do it. And what doesn't help is that you're working from home. So you really don't have that switch between office and home. So that's really tough. And that's something I have not solved. Again, thank God I love doing what I do for the most part. So it's not so much of a pain, but I really want to have a bit more of a life. Yes, we have we have burnt ourselves hard many times. Mm. And I think it's going through those burnouts that we have stepped back and gone. Is this worth it? Is it, does it bring us joy? And is it going to be important for what we value and want? And if it doesn't, it's a no from me. And it's a no from us. That's a good tip. I think we have to listen to ourselves and also be very clear on what we're getting out of each project we take on. Yeah. That's a great point. Okay, thank you. I'll report back if, you know, if I manage (laughs) to solve this. (laughs) And then what is one piece of advice that you would give to someone considering going freelance? I would say build your network. Hmm. We talked about this many times today. Your best clients will come from your network. The best things that will ever happen in your career will happen as a result of your good relationships. For that reason, I would say early on, it really does pay to work for an agency for a couple of years just to build up that network because it's much harder to meet new people when you're independent. So you meet as many people as you can. You hold on to the ones that are cool, that you like working with, that you admire, hold on to them. You just treat everybody nicely. I mean, that should go without saying, but don't be an asshole. Be surprised. (laughs) Do not be a dickhead or an asshole. Exactly. And stay in touch with past clients, stay in touch with people you like, not because you want to get something out of them, but just because you like them. If you see an article that is on the subject of, let's say, your past client's um, theme or area of interest, just ping it over to them. Don't go, here's an article, by the way, do you have work for me? No, just send the bloody article. Yeah, that's a really, that's a really great point. And, you know, the, they are people too. And just talking to them as the relationship that you are building doesn't always have to be about work um, is a really good tip. I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for these no, wonderful tips. This you. has been amazing. I mean, how do we find you? Website, Instagram, share your deeds. Okay, well, Instagram. My Instagram is mostly cats and hiking. So <laughs> if you're Sounds into amazing. those things, if you're into those things, head over to at Olga Pope. But otherwise, you can go to my website, which is olgapope.com, which is where you'll find the most important thing, which is the full collection, the full list of my published 
time out word in the street submissions we highly highly recommend you go read those amazing <laughs> and you'll also find a link to my medium articles featuring a few more tips and other ways to make your life a bit better as a freelancer I feel like a workshop is going to be coming on soon for you, yes. like an event. You should be like holding a event for this Ooh. this work. I mean, haven't thought about yeah. this. Yeah, um, maybe we yeah. can do some collaboration, yes. guys. I it would that. be awesome. Seriously, I would love that. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Let's discuss sure. after the podcast. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At the end of each episode, we do a segment where we mention our highs. So that's our winsome and our lows, dim sum. Right, I love that feature, by the way. And for the winsome, I'm going to go with a campaign I'm working on at the moment, which is called Crime Not Compliment. And it's a campaign to criminalize public sexual harassment. So this is a cause I can absolutely wholeheartedly get behind. And I'm working with a fantastic team. The charity is called Plan International UK. It's a dream project. It looks like it actually will see light of day. So this is super exciting. And this is one of those things where I feel like I'm morally offsetting the damage I did when working on things like martini. (laughs) (laughs) We got you. It's all about moral offsetting in our industry. (laughs) And then what was your dim sum on the other spectrum? Uh, I was really thinking about this because I have a really cringy one, but I'm going to go with a cringy one. So I recently started working with a very cool agency with a very famous ECD and in my first email in a big thread it was an all staffer pretty much I managed to misspell his name (laughs) and I mean not like a typo but like a different but similar sounding name to be fair I was operating on not much sleep but still (laughs) especially when the name is there in the email address and you're already but also it's like you know they are kind of a celebrity in our industry how could i oh my excuse is a lack of sleep b being russian i don't know what it is with english names but i just find them so similar to each other when i think of a paul how is a paul different from a dave i don't know (laughs) (laughs) essentially the same thing i totally feel you i've done it before and this is my um cover up we were busy sending out to our network during the pandemic we would catch up with everybody every, every thursday and I was sending out the emails and I had written, hey, Jude, but <laughs> sent it to a Christian. And then I realized and responded back saying, I'm so sorry. I was listening to, <laughs> to Hey the Jude by the Beatles. And I- <laughs> of course. You were singing along in, yeah. in type. In type. <laughs> he loved it. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Yeah. Cover up. Make sure no. you can cover up your mistakes. Yeah. But yeah. again, when you think about what's going on in the world and you think of, oh, you know, what's what's one typo? Who cares? Exactly. 100%. I love those. Not doing open heart surgery. <laughs> yeah. No, 100%. no, no. Or rocket science. No. No one's going to fall out of the sky or die. What are you, are you going to share your wind summer Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'll share Good. mine. I was just going to ask you. Oh, but uh, I would say my wind sum this week is, it's probably going to be the same as yours, actually. Um, we've had some downtime, so we've gotten ahead on receipts and Yay. invoicing. That's great. That's wind sum, doing receipts and invoicing. Yeah. Honestly, you feel so great after you've done it. It's actually mm. also um, what has helped is since doing it, we have our on our accounting portal, it shows you then how much um, personal income tax you're liable for. Mm-hmm. And by putting those receipts and expenses through, it suddenly balanced out in a way that I was like, 
oh, I have more money I can pay myself, actually. <laughs> so that was a win. I guess it's a bit like um, going to the gym. You never look forward to it, but you never regret it afterwards. Exactly. Yeah. And a dim sum. Oh, I didn't get much sleep last night. Um, I've just, my mind is racing, potentially, mm. well, on the course of buying a house. So I am like overthinker. I think that's my dim sum in general of the person I am, <laughs> Such an overthinker, overanalyzing everything, minuscule detail. I mean, it is why we're in this industry as well, because we're thinkers mm. and we ideas people. And that makes me do that with everything in life. Yeah. So that was a bit tough one, but. But good luck. Thank you. Thank you. I don't think I have a dim sum. Yes, girl. Ah. I don't think I have. It's so weird because normally I'm like, oh yeah, lots mm. of things going wrong. I don't have one. She's on top of it this week. (laughs) Nice. This is the first time ever. That was great. Honestly, thank you so much. Your words are invaluable. It has been such an honor and a treat. Thank you for being on the show. And I know our listeners are going to have so much to go through with this. Thank you so much again for having me. It's been an absolute pleasure and you're doing an amazing thing. Please, please continue. Thanks so much, guys, for listening. Don't forget to rate and subscribe to the show. Follow us on Instagram at That Freelance Life Podcast and drop us a DM if you've got any topics you'd like us to discuss or you've got any questions. And if you'd like to hire us as a creative team, drop us a line, thatfreelancelifepodcast at gmail.com.